Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Palmerson. We've got the usual busy show in store. England have got their T20 World Cup campaign off to a, uh, a workmanlike uh, start with a five-wicket five victory over Afghanistan. We'll hear from Sam Curran after he became the first Englishman to take five wickets in a T20 international. Five for ten. Cricket writer and broadcaster Barrett Sundarason will join us live to look back at an extraordinary game at the MCG as India beat Pakistan off a final ball. Uh, Rohit Sharma said Virat Kohli's innings was uh, one of the best ever by an Indian. We'll also look back at the tournament so far as the hosts and pre-tournament favourites. Australia were humbled by uh, their neighbours New Zealand and uh, what now for the West Indies after failing to make the Super 12s. And we'll end the show by looking at some of the big stories in English cricket as Richard Gould is named the ECB's new chief executive and uh, a Durham legend, some say the Durham bowling legend since Harmy left. He's leaving the county after 12 years, their leading uh, all-time wicket taker. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Uh, well, um, Afghanistan presented uh, a potentially very awkward stumbling block and um, England, I was going to say England made short work of them, but <clears throat> they didn't. They did with the ball, but it was a bit of an effort with the bat. Uh, winning, you would have thought, with oh, five or six overs to spare, um, chasing a very modest score. But um, hey, a win's a win, Harmi. Just get just get the points on the board. Yeah, get the points on the board first game. I thought it was a, prof- a thoroughly professional performance, I think. With the ball, I thought England were excellent. I thought Woods Pierce is, is going to be key on these surfaces and, and really frightening, especially the, the, the teams from the subcontinent, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Afghanistan, Bangladesh. If England come up against them, players that don't play quick bowling on bouncy pitches that much, I think Mark Woods' four overs in that middle could be really, really crucial from, from an England point of view. 
and it was great to see Sam Curran get he's he's sort of the first five for, from an Englishman because I think the one if there is a question mark about this England team and if there is any sort of sign of where they're probably not as strong I think it's in the death bowling department and um, with Sam getting five for ten at the end of the game there I think that's gone that'll go huge way to boost in his confidence but I thought England I thought England in the field were excellent yes they limped over the line with a bat but there's a lot of question marks and talk about players' places and trying to get Ducks in, in, in a row, you know, in order. Stokes had some time there. Hill spent some time there. And uh, I, I just thought it was a, a very, very professional performance by England to get the points on the board. OK, let's hear from Sam Curran. Anytime you're playing and you're taking on those tough situations, that's when you want to be involved. Um just trying to be as adaptable as possible with um, giving giving the group bowling group loads of different options, and there'll be some days where it doesn't come off, which I'm very very aware of. But um, hopefully, I can keep taking confidence, and um, all the other bowlers around me, we can all take confidence on that performance today, and um, we'll keep working hard for the rest of the tournament. That's Sam Curran talking about uh, his new job or his current job, anyway, uh, <laughs> bowling at the death. You've said for many years that, um, that Sam Curran's versatility is uh, both a strength and a weakness because um, he, 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 you've said, you said years ago that he needs to be given a specific role and a specific job. I suspect that it'll change again, maybe not during this tournament, but um, he can do everything. But at the moment, that's his job, bowling at the death. That is his job. I think his, I think his role will change again in this tournament. I think the, <laughs> England will eventually go. The, the further they go in the competition, the better the size the player. They might sort of realise that they might have to leave one of the batsmen out to give some help at the end, death bowling-wise, to bring either a, a Jordan or a Wokes into the group. And if that's the case, then Sam goes to seven, uh, somewhere where he's been for the last sort of 12 or 13 T20 internationals. So he's got a role at the end, which is great, death bowling. He's a fantastically talented young man. Um, and sometimes his versatility is does let, him, does let him down a little bit when it comes to selection because he fills a lot of jobs, but... Nobody really seems to want to kneel one down to mass. So, look, it's great. Five for ten in a, in, a, in a T20 World Cup in the first game, you know, that's got to give you a huge amount of confidence for the rest of the tournament. OK, let's hear from Sam again, um, looking ahead to what, uh, what, which games are to come. Wednesday, I think it's Ireland, which is obviously going to be a, another very tricky game. We've seen the way they, they played in the qualifiers. They're obviously a very dangerous team, got some match winners in there as well. So um, we'll focus probably on just on Wednesday's game. But like you said, there's there's no hiding that Friday is going to be a pretty epic game against Australia um, at the MCG, which I'm sure will be an incredible experience for all of us. And hopefully we can go into that game having won on Wednesday. Um, and yeah, like you said, if we if we win there, it will be obviously great great for us. And um, I guess it might put Aussie in a, in a tricky position. <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine if England end Australia's World Cup campaign after two games? <laughs> but as he said, you know, we're all we're all we all can't wait for that game at the MCG. But let's look at the Ireland game. Do England make some changes? Do they do they get some game time in someone's legs, even if that's not necessarily the team that they'll play against Australia? Yeah, I think Mills might have to play. It's one of them. It's one of them tournaments where you feel as though can we get through with twelve or thirteen players? You've got injury track records of likes of Wood and Sam's obviously just coming back from an injury as well, a major injury as well. You probably have to utilise your bowlers. So it wouldn't surprise me if Wood misses out and Mills plays. Just for the simple fact is, if you have to get further down the tournament line, then Mills might have to play. 
again because he hasn't played for a while. He wasn't in Pakistan. He didn't play in Pakistan. That, you know, he didn't play in the warm-up games. He got sort of came in from uh, Reese Topley's injuries. So from that point of view, I think you want to give Mills four overs, some time on his feet, just in case you get to the last group game, semi-final, or even even the final. And if Mark Wood gets injured or somebody gets injured, you know, you might need some time in, in Tamil Mills's leg. So I think bowlers will will might be get rotated. I don't think the baton yet will be touched. But I still think when they come up against the big sides further down the line, England might have to look at the balance of their side and think, are we one batsman heavy? Because do we really want Moen Ali coming in at number seven or Liam Livingston coming in at number seven, potentially either not facing a ball or only facing two or three balls? You've, if you've got the likes of Curran, Willie, potentially Jordan or Wokes, that's enough firepower from a batting point of view to face four balls at the end of an innings. So I think there will be changes, but I think this time it'll just be in the bowling department. A couple of interesting um, little stories. There was uh, there was Reese Topley rolling his ankle, um, and um, he he tripped on the appetising triangles and Toblerones. Mm. So, um, and, and there was uh, and there's there's been the talk about their increasing size, and they have got bigger. It's a completely commercial decision because the advertisers want as much space as possible. The ICC wants to sell as much space as, po- as possible. So um, they've made the advertising triangles bigger. Um, and there's, there's quite serious talk. I mean, I know they're, they're foam, but, you know, players wear spikes and they can get trapped in there as, as, and Topley rolled his ankle on one. So um, I don't know. It just caught my eye. And also, um, Tamal Mills, um, did you see, missed the birth of his second child preparing for the game? I did see that. Yeah, welcome to the club, Tamal, because <laughs> I did that as well. My second child, and she's never forgiven me since when she puts her hand out and says, Dad, can I have some money? Um, so, look, it's a fair play to the boy for doing it. Shows that he's obviously he's a committed committed cricketer that wants England to do well. Um, and it's great to see. And congratulations to the Mills family for the new arrival. On the toggle around the, the, the sort of triangles, yeah. I, I, if I was a bowler, I'd be seriously having to go at my team manager and go, and I'm not bothered how much advertised space these lot want. I'm not bothered about commercial side. I, I've got a creator. If I fall over this... Who's going to pay my bills if I do my knee or do my ankle? So I think there has to be players saying to their administrators, there's one thing having advertising, there's two things making it a little bit dangerous. And you're right, spikes into them foam rollers, bang, you go over. Reese Topley could be out for a while. This could cost him not only a World Cup winner's medal, it could cost him his place for further down the line and potentially you know, having an adverse effect on the start of next season as well because you know, an ankle injury, once you go over it once, very, very difficult to sort of strengthen it up and not go again. So for something he could probably say was out of his control because all he was doing was these are dangerous things. Hang on a minute. He wouldn't get a winner's medal, even though he was picked in the squad. I know that he was replaced before the first game, but I reckon he still gets a medal. I'd be very, very, I'm not sure about that because he actually did it before the tournament started, didn't he? He was playing in a bilateral series rather than playing in in a World Cup game. So because of that, I think he, he might he might just miss out. Be interesting. It'd be interesting to see. We're uh, speculating on a on a on a, a scenario that we all want to happen, which is England winning the World Cup. But I, if he had played in a game, yes, he would have gotten one. But if he doesn't play in a game or he's not in when the tournament starts, he'd be very very surprised. ICC putting a hand in their pocket and giving sixteen medals as opposed to fifty. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, let's hear from the island camp now. Andy Balverney, uh, not surprisingly, relishing the prospect of uh, coming up against England. I don't think we've played England. I've certainly never played against England in a T20. Um, I don't think we've played them for 10 or 11 years. Is that right? 2010. So um, we've obviously played a lot of 50 over cricket against them, a test match against them. We got a bit of a taste of the MCG in a warm-up game before the tournament started for us. And there's a lot of Irish people in Melbourne. So it's going to be pretty special. It's always special when you get to play England. Um, a few of us kind of played county cricket and got a taste of that. And we know how strong a team they are. They Coming in is probably one of the tournament favourites, um, and rightly so. So we're going to have to be a lot better than we were today to, to come anywhere near them. But I know the guys will certainly turn it around. And, and once we get up to Melbourne, we'll be fully focused on the, the challenge that is ahead. Andy Balberni, um, we're all looking forward to that game. Actually, it's been a, a cracking start to this uh, tournament, honestly. I, I, we've had just, uh, um, I think it's been the best of uh, all eight so far. Best start, anyway. I don't know how it's going to finish. Final word, uh, our weekly mention of Ben Stokes and um, his, uh, his, his bigger jobs, his greater responsibility, which is what Josh Butler said he wanted for him, taking the new ball again. Yeah, that's. I think it, it's the right decision because he's a wicket-taker. Ben is a wicket taker. He's, he's an all action bowler where if he doesn't take a wicket, he tends to go for a boundary. So if you're in the power player, boundaries are going to be hit anywhere. So if you can nip a wicket out, especially in Australian pitches where the ball bounces that little bit more, might just hold up or a little bit of swing with the, with the new Cookerbra ball. I think it's a, it's a masterstroke from, from England to get Ben to bowl the first over the first, or two of the first six overs while the ball's brand new, um, because yes, he can be expensive, but he is a wicket taker and that's the story of the game. If you can get wickets in the power play, you've got a great chance of winning. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. If you didn't hear it at the time, it's worth listening once again to Indian captain Rohit Sharma after that extraordinary game at the MCG. We know the quality that he has. Uh, and he's done so well uh, in, in these type of conditions in all three forms. Uh, so used his experience today more than anything else, uh, you know, staying calm under pressure. And uh, we know how good he is when, he, when the score is in, score is, uh, in front of him. Uh, you know, he's one of the best chasers in the world. He's definitely best for sure. But I, I think from the situation uh, we were in and to come out, uh, victory, uh, I, I think it has to be one of India's best knock, not just uh, his best knock. Uh, because till 13th over, we were so behind the game and the required rate was just climbing up and up. Uh, but to come out and chase that score was an extremely brilliant effort from uh, Virat. And then obviously Hardik played a role as well there. You know, uh, So I thought both of them uh, you know, because these guys have played under pressure so many games for us, uh, so they, they knew exactly how to handle uh, that kind of situation and they did pretty well in that situation. That was Indian captain Rohit Sharma and uh, a little earlier I caught up with uh, Barrett Sundarason, who was, along with 95,000 other people, at the MCG for that game. Let's start with the MCG, uh, Barrett, because... And that was a game of cricket that almost transcended sport. It was. Manas, you spent a lot of time in India in your time. Trust me, as I was heading towards the MCG, I had to keep telling myself this is Melbourne because nobody was driving like it was Melbourne. Nobody was following the traffic rules like it was Melbourne. 
And as as I got close to the MCG, I was a little late. I had to run up to the commentary, commentary box. I was pushing my way through, nudging people because there were just so many people. If there were 93,200 people inside the MCG, there were 90,000 people outside the MCG before the game began. And I had to push and shove and there was no personal space involved in that crowd. And once you got inside, just the road, you know, those crowds in India, right, Manas, when before, like two hours before the game starts, but back in the day, it was Tendulkar, now it's Kohli or Dhoni. All they have to do is just put one step on the ground and there's this roar. That's what it was like at the MCG. I was transported back to India at different points during that match. It felt like Mumbai, if India was doing well, or Karachi, if Pakistan were doing well. You said, you're right. I mean, it, it is the greatest spectacle the MCG has ever seen. Possibly one of the greatest spectacles cricket has ever seen. Was there any animosity? I mean, um, the, the rivalry, the atmosphere seemed to be fabulous between the fans, but that's a lot of people in a very enclosed space with an enormous river of emotion flowing. Did it overflow? It did not, surprisingly. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that there was such bonhomie on in the middle, to the extent I saw something that I never thought I'd ever see. Haris Ruff bowling, I think the 16th or the 17th over, is so noisy, he can't get his message across to his third man to get a little finer. So Hardik Pandya, who's on strike, does it for him. He calls out the third man and says, I think your bowler wants you to go. It was extraordinary. I've never seen anything like that. And, and that continued right through the game and even after the game. After, after a finish like that, contentious last over, you anything could have happened. But there was such love between the players and even around the ground. Honestly, I've never seen so many Indian and Pakistani flags flying next to each other, manners. You see the occasional one on TV or for TV. But this was just exceptional. I mean, people... Whoever was there was so happy to be there. Even I think the, they won even before the match began. That's an extraordinary image of the non-striker helping the <laughs> helping to set the field. Uh, uh, let's move on. We've got so much to talk about. Virat Kohli. Uh, afterwards, he said, "I'm speechless," and then went on to give an, an immaculate account of of the game and remembering all of the key statistics. Fantastic. I mean, that straight six of Harris Ralph. I, I'm. There aren't very many moments in T20 cricket, international or domestic, that I remember for more than 10 minutes. But I don't think I'll ever forget that shot. Those two sixes of hardest stuff, I'm taking to my grave, Manus. Uh, maybe from a, a handful of memories from my family and those two sixes of hardest of hardest stuff from Virat Kohli. That's what I maybe, uh, uh, many more memories of the dogs for sure. You can, you can literally write a book just on those two sixes. You know, the setting in which he hit them. The fact that nobody was able to put bat to ball to Hardestroff, and then when it mattered, when they needed two sixes of two balls of him, to find ways to do it. And I always like to believe Virat Kohli is one of those human beings who has the genius gene. And when, when he kind of taps into it, he can do things that I think normal mortals can't do. And I'm, you know me, I'm not one for exaggeration. But that's what came across uh, during those two sixes and throughout that innings. And I, 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 and I saw him in the airport, kind of bumped into him at the airport in Melbourne. And he still looked a little dazed, dazed in the sense in a good way, but he couldn't believe what he'd done because maybe he couldn't believe anyone could have done what he did. It was something like 15 off 23 or 24 balls. And, um, you know, I, 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 and a few people have said to me, well, you, he, he was very lucky, um, you know, to, to be able to, to escape like that. I think they scored 28 runs off the last eight balls. But then I had to point out that Indy were 31 for four, needing 160. And on a pitch where the seamers were getting so much help, 
you know, he, we know he's a great finisher and great finishers are those or aren't those who can just play the big shot, but they play the, the game in their mind, right? I think it was excellent calculation, just the way he wanted to do it. They, we needed that one big over and they got it at the right time, third over of the left arm spinner, 20 runs. And then from that point on, it was like Russian roulette, right? It was just a point of, you knew it was India versus Mohamed Nawaz. So it, they had to do whatever they could before they got to Nawaz. Uh, you know, Pakistan kept hiding him, kept hiding him, but eventually they had to expose him. And that's where the genius of Virat Kohli comes through. And look, we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about those two sixes. But the way he manipulated the field, the way he kept, you know, the running uh, between the wickets going, and the three boundaries he had of Shaheen Shah Afridi. We can't forget that either. And some extraordinary shots, the one inside out, the flick of the full toss uh, towards the backward square leg boundary. They, they were all shots that just told you why he's so good at this particular aspect, this particular art of run chasing. And you're right. I mean, from 31 for four to for Virat Kohli himself to say, <laughs> use the word impossible to get it done. And the way they did it as well. Uh, yeah, one of the greatest innings ever seen in white ball cricket. Even though it's a T20 match, people will kind of frown at that statement. It's true. A word about Pakistan. Um, I, I see that you were on the flight to Perth <laughs> with them. Are they? Are they <laughs> those are deep bruises, aren't they? They're deep bruises. You know, especially when it comes to India-Pakistan, it's not, a, not even a... It is true. This is the match that matters. The World Cup starts for India and Pakistan from this point on. And considering where they were, till last year they never beaten India in a World Cup. They did that. Again, they were so far ahead of the game yesterday. Nobody gave Virat Kohli or Hardik Pandya a chance to do what they eventually ended up doing. And, and then the drama of the last over, where they panicked. I mean, it, it was an embarrassing finish where Babar Azam lost control of his team. Uh, Mohamed Rizwan was trying to take over captaincy. Shadab Khan walked in and sent Babar Azam to deep mid-wicket and said, I'll take over. All sorts of things were happening. They're getting the left-arm seamer, left-arm spinner to bowl like Ijaz Ahmed, bowl left-arm medium pace. It, w- it was all happening. I think it was a little embarrassing. So they looked, looked a little shell-shocked even today as they got into the flight. I do have a bone to pick with them because they were on the same <laughs> flight as me. All their luggage was loaded on. And anyone who wasn't a Pakistan cricketer, which includes me, our luggage was left behind in Melbourne. So I have to spend tonight in Perth with uh, no clothes. Most importantly, without my hairbrush and my hairdryer. <laughs> well, t- talking of shell shocked, how are Australia getting over that humiliating? Uh, it was humiliating loss to New Zealand. I mean, New, Z- New Zealand were brilliant, but they, they had no answer to, to the Black Caps' assault. Absolutely. And you, you thought they, they would kind of show some some spirit with the bat, get a little close to that target. But Gary Stead had asked Finn Allen and Devin Conway to throw the first punch manners. And the first punch was the killer blow. It just knocked them out. After those first four overs, they pulled it back a little bit in the middle overs. Adam Zampa bowled okay. Uh, but, you know, and Adam Zampa actually in the mixed zone told me, I asked him about how his role changed. And at that point, he realized his role had changed. You know, they all had been so rattled by the attack. He said, yeah, you're right. I did bowl more defensively. I was thinking more defensively. And and yeah, and it was game over at that point. And with the shape of the Australian batting lineup, you either needed Warner or Finch to hang around for a while. Once they got out, you just had a lot of guys playing a lot of shots with no rhythm, no momentum, no flow. And it was a very humiliating defeat, you know, when you're the home team defending your crown on home soil. But 
Hey, Manus, New Zealand have done this before. You'll remember the 2016 World T20 or T20 World Cup. They did this to India. Nobody gave them a chance. They came to India, humbled them in, on a turning pitch, on a rank turner with Santner and Sodhi taking a lot of wickets. Uh, and they're a very dangerous side. They're the kind of team where you can't make any mistake, right? It's, uh, they'll pick on you, like bold, Saudi, Santner, Sodhi. They're so experienced. And that's what happened to Australia. And look, Australia's World Cup campaign could be over in a couple of days' time. If they lose to England the World Cup campaign would have lasted all of five days. And just finally, um, calls to recall Steve Smith sound a bit like uh, saying that they were half a dozen life, life vests short on the Titanic. They need to not just win, but they need to win, win huge, don't they? Or what are they going to do with their starting team? I personally believe they needed Steve Smith. And we've seen like what we saw with Virat Kohli yesterday, Devin Conway to an extent on day one. In these conditions, manners, you need people who can be these batters who can use the field, use the angles and keep, keep it fluid. And Australia just got stuck like Zimbabwe last year, last week against West Indies. You need guys who can do that. And you can keep a 130-140 strike rate without hitting boundaries on these big boundaries with all these pockets uh, where you can score in. Uh, and I think they will, they have, in my opinion, they have no option but to bring Steve Smith back because this clearly didn't work. Though I have a feeling they might stick with the same 11 going into the Sri Lanka game, but can't take Sri Lanka lightly either. Uh, but uh, the SOS calls for Steve Smith are very valid. Uh, and, you know, or Australia, like you said, they just decide, bring Cam Green in, go for broke and see what happens because that net run rate has taken such a beating. Like you said, at least two of these matches, if say they win the next four, two of those matches have to be with a huge margin. Been a cracking World Cup, hasn't it? Even the preliminary round was um, com- compelling viewing. Yeah, and I think it's because, like Rohit Sharma said the other day, we don't know anything about T20 cricket in Australia in October. So everybody is just learning on the job, which adds <laughs> to the whole intrigue around it. Like people kept asking that, who are the favourites? Everybody said Australia. I said Australia as well, based on just the look of the team. But now we're realising uh, how you bowl is different, how you... Uh, build an innings in these conditions is different. Uh, and we've seen a couple of venues, what, three venues, four venues so far. But moving forward, once we get to Brisbane and Adelaide, it's just going to get more and more interesting. And I think this is going to be a crackerjack World Cup. But there are going to be a lot of surprises. Barrett, fantastic to talk to you. Hopefully we'll uh, check in with you again a little bit later on in the tournament. Enjoy the rest of it. It's been a fantastic uh, start. Thank you. Uh, no worries. Hopefully my luggage comes through by then, man. I was cricket writer and broadcaster Barrett Sundarason. Harmi, I, I, I think it'll, it'll be ages, it'll be days, weeks, maybe the end of the tournament before I can find the words for that occasion. And I was watching it from about 11,000 miles away. Yeah, I, I didn't watch it live. I, was, I didn't, didn't see it live. I watched it about three or four times again on highlights. So. And I still look at my TV and go, Pakistan must have won this. They can't have won from here. India, no chance. But the atmosphere was amazing, absolute amazing. And you're talking about sort of players trying to sort of look after one another. I thought the Indian and Pakistan players together, I think their conduct towards each other in the last sort of few series has been excellent. I think that's largely down to franchise cricket, players playing a, you know, in mixing in other dressing rooms. One of the, the pictures of last cricket summer was Mohammed Rizwan and... Pajara batting together in, in, a, in a Sussex shirt. And you know, India and Pakistan come together. It is fiercely rival. But the noise in that MCG, it, it, it's noisy anywhere because it's just a concrete dome. But stick 95,000 Indian and Pakistan supporters in it. 
I've been in, I've been at Edgebaston when 20,000 were in and you couldn't hear a thing. Can't imagine what it was like being on the field that. It must have been unbelievable. I told you if you were at Curly, you'd never get back to his best, didn't I? <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? You know, everybody before the tournament, I'm, I'm listening and seeing podcasts and seeing headlines. Stokes shouldn't be playing for England. Smith shouldn't be playing for Australia. Coley's finished. He shouldn't be playing for India. It's like, really? Big tournaments? These players turn up. They're not bothered about playing, you know, Tom Nuddy bilateral series. It's, you know, franchise cricket, yes, is a big thing for these guys. You stick them in a World Cup and they're representing their country. They tend to perform, and it was. I know Rohit Sharma said it was one of the best innings he's ever seen by an Indian. It's arguably one of the best innings that anybody's seen in in the sort of history, the brief history of T20 cricket. And final word on Australia. Talking of uh, of big innings, I think that uh, one of the most impactful innings on on the tournament may well have been played in the very first innings of the main draw. Finn Allen's forty two off sixteen balls. They went out swinging at Australia. And, you know, I just think uh, once again, the Black Caps, the, the tactical ingenuity and, and the, the way they find a way, don't they? They get into the semifinals. They just always do. And, I mean, they didn't just beat Australia. I mean, that was like 9-0. Yeah, that's that's in, that's in, that's an in innings in 300 runs, isn't it? To be fair, it's it's not 10 wickets. It's an in innings in 300 runs. This is, that was it. That was a proper beating. And you mentioned Finn Allen. It was not only did it set a marker down for the rest of the tournament. Actually, people looked and said, why are Australia favourites? Not for the batting, the bowling. Australia favourites, because they've got Josh Hazelwood, Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, Zampa. They've got a bowling attack, fantastic bowling attack. And New Zealand batsmen made them look like sort of under-15 cricketers. And that's hats off to, to the way Finn Allen started. Devin Conway carried it on. Australia going to have to beat England, MCG, Friday. If they don't beat England Friday, they're out. And it's a bit like 99 World Cup with, with the Cricket World Cup with England. England were out before their the, the sort of team song came and they were, the yeah, team song come, England were already out. Could possibly happen this week because, you know, one week into the tournament and the holders, oh, the, sorry, the hosts, holders could be out. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Next up in part three, we'll round up the best bits of the T20 World Cup so far, those bits that we haven't already mentioned, and uh, we'll discuss who are the favourites and uh, which favourites are no longer favourites. The odds are changing all the time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. 
the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Let's begin, actually, Harmy, with uh, with Aaron Finch, because obviously Captain's got a front up. I mean, that was a pounding. Um, but he says, as you would expect, that Australia is still good enough to retain their world title. We still feel as though we've got the right structure of team and we've got the right players to to win the World Cup. Obviously, it's taken a big hit today with with a net run rate, and when that happens, you, you need you need to play well, and we need to we need to get better quickly. And then, you, like I said, you need a bit of luck in in T Twenty cricket as well, and in, in such a brutal tournament. So, I think we've still got the right structure of the team. There's no doubt about that. Whether whether you go with an extra spinner, an extra quick, uh, something like that, I think that's that's the only real decision to be made. Well, I'm still confident in the in the 15 that we've got, no doubt. Well, of course, um, of course he is, um, and, and I believe that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah uh, naturally. Uh, so, um, you think Steve Smith should have played in that game, or do you think he should be like a, a certain starter, given how bad their net run rate is now, and and Steve Smith's. I know, I know you need to win the game first of all, but if it does come down to net run rate, and there is a very strong possibility, then um, you know, do Australia actually need to to start thinking about winning, not just winning, but but winning by large margins? I think they need to. They've got a bowling attack that can make them win by large margins if they get runs on the board. But you've got to get runs on the board first, and that for me is, I think, is so key and crucial. And you're going into a tournament leaving one of the world's best players out. If you had that idea in the first place, you're like, really? Do you, do you really want to take him into the tournament? So for me, I can't understand why you'd pick Steve Smith in a 15-man squad and not play him. It's a bit like Virat. It's a bit like Ben Stokes and one or two others. You can talk about him not being sort of somebody that hits the ball over the boundary rope, but he's somebody who can play a, a huge array of shots. He's got 360-degree um, around the ground and his ability to manoeuvre the ball. But I think class is permanent and I think the big tournament, I think Smith, for me, should be playing. But that's Australia's problem. You know, it's a nice one that England fans can sort of give them a bit of stick for because, you know, like I said a little bit earlier, it could be out of tournament by Friday and whatever they think about Steve Smith, right decision or wrong decision, that could be irrelevant. It's really interesting that Cameron Green was approved as a replacement for for the reserve wicketkeeper, Josh Inglis. Now, I have to say that there is an event technical committee which has to approve um, a medical replacement. So, so I mean, look, clearly Australia 
select their squad a wee bit too early, um, earlier than they needed to, actually. And and then it became obvious that Cameron Green really should have been in it. And, and then yeah. Josh English injured himself on the golf course. It was a hand injury as well. And I haven't seen any details of that story. And by the way, the event technical committee includes such luminaries, medical luminaries as Ian Bishop and Sean Pollock. So (laughs) you couldn't help thinking, that's convenient. Thanks, Josh. What what did you do? Did he stab himself with a T or something? I'm going to say, yeah, uh, it was very, it is very convenient, but Australia will argue, and I would argue from an, if I was an Australian point of view, and say, well, English was a English was a an all rounder, a batsman and a wicketkeeper. So Cameron Green is a batsman and a bowler. It's an all rounder for an all rounder. Um, if you want to go down the tech, you know that side of it, but it's one of them ones. If something happens to Matt Weird, you've got David Warner keeping wicket. Do you really want to go down that route? That's the gamble that Australia of taking. Have the panicked by. You know, having that move off the back of, you know, now having a, a huge defeat and staring down a barrel of having to win win games, but win them convincingly to, to sort of help their chances with a net run rate. Um, where does Cameron Green fit in all this? There's a lot of question marks for Australia in the batting department on how they get runs. I think they've got a fantastic bowling unit, but if they don't get runs, it doesn't matter who they've got bowling for them because they're not going to win games. Our producer... Scott Taylor's just to pass me a note to say that uh, losing by 89 runs was Australia's largest margin of defeat in a T20 international since they lost to England at the Rose Bowl in 2005, a game that you played in. How well do you remember it? It was the last, I got the last week. Yeah, I, I was, I stood with me, with me hands folded for, a, well, my arms folded for most of the game because I didn't get a chance to bowl. I was looking at Vaughan, come on, mate, give me a go. There's 20 odd thousand people there screaming and shouting. Australia sort of 60 odd for five, 60 for six. Am I going to get a bowl here, Mick? And I think he brought me in. I think he brought me and Freddie on right at the very end. John Lewis got wickets, I think, that day. But literally everything we touched seemed to go to just went straight to hand. And yeah, everything he did, he moved just got from first slip to full slip. Um, and then next ball, Damian Martin smacked it straight, you know, just edged it straight down his straight down his throat. Little pick up to mid-wicket. And then even somebody hit one up in the end. I caught it. So Vaughan had all the luck that day. So, but it was a great atmosphere. And that was when t- sort of 2020 was just in its infancy. Now it's a little bit more, I think it's a lot more calculated and it's a lot more structured to how teams go about it. Okay, we should hear from the New Zealand camp. Um, Devin Conway uh, finished uh, 89 not out, played a, a really, really quality innings to sort of follow up on the, the work done by his Wellington teammate, uh, Finn Allen. So uh, here's Conway. I think for us, it's close to a perfect game um, as a collective unit. You know, I think we always say we want to start well, put put teams under pressure. And I think the way Finn Allen batted up front was pretty special. You know, put the bowlers under some serious pressure, and um, we just took that momentum throughout the game. And you know, we did we did well with the ball as well. We sort of put it into good areas, put them under pressure, and um, yeah, it was pretty pretty good game for us to start the tournament. It certainly was. Um, geez, working hard on that Kiwi accent. I was just about uh, it, to say that to you, Manners. I was just about to say that. that the South African's just going out of Devon Conway, isn't it? <laughs> He's trying hard. <laughs> He's trying hard. <laughs> there was a very amusing tweet, very harsh, but but amusing at the same time. Uh, but a, a respected cricket writer saying that it was a particularly impressive batting performance from New Zealand, 
given that there was reverse on display, both from Australia's bowlers and Kane Williamson. Are you concerned about his... Uh, I mean, should New Zealand be concerned about him? Because uh, it's not... It's been 18 months. His strike rate's not got over 100 for 18 months. Yeah, well, you've just seen what Virat Kohli's just done, and he was in a similar, similar position. So, for me, Kim Williamson, Steve Smith, Ben Stokes, Virat Kohli, all these players who have had question marks over their selections and the way they've been performing over the course of the last however many however many matches or however many months and you know yeah for sort of Virat and for 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 Kian. But you come to a big tournament in the stand up and I've got no doubt if New Zealand if, if New Zealand are a force in this tournament, Kian Williamson will score runs. He will. He's just too good not to. Um and we've seen we've seen what happened with Virat Coley the other day. These players don't stay quiet for too long, especially in big tournaments. So I don't think it'll be a worry for New Zealand. He's a fantastic operator, excellent captain. And while you've got Finn Allen blasting the way he did at the start of an innings, it gives Kane more of a chance to sort of get himself in and get himself going um, and just takes a little bit of pressure off him. Okay, finally, I said that we would um, talk a little bit about the West Indies, but... Um, what a disaster, losing to Scotland and Ireland, not making it to the main draw, didn't get out of the preliminary tournament. Here's their head coach, Phil Simmons. We haven't been playing good enough cricket to be there as we would be there. We have the, 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 the batsmen, the capabilities, we just haven't been putting it together. Our bowlers have shown up nine out of ten times, but the batters haven't really showed up. And I, I think all the batters will be disappointed in, in, in what they've produced not just at the World Cup, but just before the World Cup and everything like that. So we need to go back and batsmen need to take a look at themselves and work out how we score 170, 180 runs to be in the game because the bowlers are doing their job. We've got to go back and look at our structure and, and, and how we play the game and make sure that when we come to competitions or when we play in bilateral series, we are ready and, and, and able to do what's necessary for each situation of the game now. West Indies cricket's been uh, in crisis at least once a year for about twenty-five years now. Yeah, they are. Uh, they are a team in in decline. They are a nation. When you mention the West Indies, you think what fantastic side and history and everything that goes with it. I think it's just the letters now. It's just the name. I don't think there's any substance behind it. If I'm brutally honest, and nothing against sort of Nicholas Puran, I don't think he's a leader. I can't understand how. You could go into that tournament and not have Jason Holder as your captain when Kieran Pollard is not there. I watched them very closely, commentated on them closely in the T20s when England played in January. And they had a structure about the way they played. They had a, a look as though a formula and a plan, but it was all down to Pollard. Pollard was the orchestra of that. He was the conductor of that orchestra and you knew everything that was going on. Nicholas Poran doesn't strike me as somebody who leads very well. He's the, undoubtedly their best player. But unfortunately, I think there's a selfishness about Nicholas Poran that doesn't make him won't make him a very good captain you know, for a long term. I think he just needs to concentrate for me, he would just concentrate on his batting, get as many runs as he can because his team needs him. And I think leadership qualities of Jason Holder, he was a must for that tournament. And they're they're a shambles at the minute. They really are. We we spoke um, with the guys from the Caribbean podcast a few weeks ago. And they said it was going to be a, a transitional tournament, younger players, but still, transition or no transition, you've got to get out of the Emerging Nations group. 
sorry, that's not good enough, West Indies. If I was a fan there, I can understand them being frustrated. We covered Nicholas Puran's uh, appointment as captain, and, and, and I don't know if you remember, but uh, he, he was asked why he thought he was appointed captain, and he said, I don't know. It came as a massive surprise. He was then asked what sort of style of leadership that uh, he intended to to use, and he said, I don't know. I don't have much captaincy experience. So, um, yeah, he doesn't look like the right man uh, for the job at all. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and uh, the former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. Just before we move on to English news, um, we should mention uh, South Africa and the <laughs> record with rain at World Cups. You can honestly say that in 1991, 2003 and 2015, they they had their fate seriously uh, altered by rain. And um, uh, the, their opening game against Zimbabwe um, reduced to nine overs initially. Zimbabwe made uh, 79 for five. South Africa galloping galloping to victory. Quinton de Kock took 23 off the first over from Tendai Chitara. Uh, they're 51 without loss. and need 13 more from uh, from from 4.5 overs and the rain comes back down again. I have to laugh because I was at all of those. Uh, I've been I've been at all of South Africa's car crashes in, in World Cups and glo- global tournaments. But they don't normally crash on the first bend. They normally crash in the final straight. Yeah, they do. They do tend to sort of tires blow up as they're going towards the finish line. But yeah, you know, fair play to Quentin de Kock. He was in ridiculous form, and you look at that and you think, you know what? When it was mentioned, they're in the, probably the easier group. Um, it was mentioned the possible dark horses, you know, outsiders to qualify from that group between the shootout between them and Pakistan. That result doesn't help them brings Pakistan obviously back into the equation now because obviously their defeat against India. So that's probably the game, Pakistan against South Africa and the form that Quentin de Cox has shown. I tell you what, he could have a big tournament. Um, what a player. And the, the amusing thing was, I was covering the game for, reporting on the game for Talk Sport, and it was, um, the power player from Zimbabwe was 14 for three off three overs. Quentin de Cox then passed their power player score in four balls. And I thought, oh, he knows the rain's coming. Um, but unfortunately, that's, he couldn't obviously do anything about it. He tried everything. And I thought Temba Bavuma batted brilliantly for the two balls he faced. He got two or two balls. Um, not quite in the uh, in the Quentin de Kock mould, but at the end of the day, they probably complemented each other very, very well. Um, it's interesting to see the comparisons between Temba Bavuma and Kane Williamson, actually. Um, and uh, Williamson is clearly far superior Cricketer, but um, given their strike rates and the level of esteem and respect they command um, within their team as captains, it is it is interesting uh, to see uh, whether we. I think we mentioned it last week, didn't we? I said that Kane Williamson very much is the sort of man to say, you know what, I'm actually not in the best eleven at the moment, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't come as a great surprise to see to see at some point um, if he if he just benched himself. Anyway, we'll perhaps talk about that uh, again next week. Let's see what happens. Let's talk about the appointment of Richard Gould as the ECB's new chief executive. A few days ago, uh, Tim Bostock seemed to be very much uh, the front runner. But as we also said, when they were announced as candidates, they're both very, very, very impressive candidates. And um, I I don't think anybody could have had any issue with with whoever was appointed. The interesting thing about uh, Gould, and he starts his his position in January, doesn't he? He leaves um, Bristol City, but he has been very outspoken about the 100. 
and no doubt he'll wind that back in. Yeah, I'm sure he'll wind. I'm sure Richard will wind that back in a little bit. Um, it seems that everybody that the ECB have appointed in the recent past have not had a great deal nice things to say about the hundred. So, look, yeah, Rocky had a go about you know talking about it in, in, a, in a newspaper article again this week. Richard Thompson was anti hundred. Richard Gould wasn't very complimentary towards the hundred either. So, look, I think both guys. You're right, had a huge amount of kudos in the game. Tim Bostock helped rebuild Durham from you know the point of no return. Um, and and Richard Gould worked very, very closely with obviously with um, Richard Thompson at Surrey. There will be question marks about ECB being Southern based, top heavy being Surrey. I don't get I don't really mind that. I'm not really interested in that if it is Southern based or if it is all about Surrey. The simple fact is the Oval is one of the best test grounds in the country. The business at Surrey is one of the best businesses, models in the country. And Surrey have been have been flying, producing players for, for a lot of years. So from that point of view, I think it's a good move that ECB have decided to go with Richard Thompson and Richard Gould as a partnership to try and drive the business of, of the ECB going forward. Right, let's um, move quickly on to the Lions squad, which has uh, been uh, announced. Uh, it's a training squad. My question to you is, what's the purpose of the Lions squad? And does it vary? I mean, is it supposed to be the next best, whatever format it is, in, in the country, just quite literally the, ne- the next best squad? Or is it have a, does it have a development angle to it? it? Should the players be younger? What's somebody like Dan Lawrence? He's a very fine player, and he's most definitely in the in in the second second. You know, if he's not in the in the first team squad, but um, you know, he's a senior county player. What do you think of the, the squad that that's been named? I, th- I suppose it is mostly young players. Matt Fisher's there. Uh, Matt Potts. I think it's it's a bit of both, to be honest, man. I think a lot of it is geared up to where it, the main team is. So the main team is going to be in Pakistan. They're given, obviously, they're going to be all together practice game in, in the UAE before England eventually get to, to Pakistan in the first test match. I think there's one or two senior players in there for the reason that if if there is a big injury, a Ben Stokes, a Joe Root, then you've got players that have played a lot of cricket. You know, Tommy Abel's in there and he's played he's played a fair, fair amount of cricket. So from that point of view, I'd have been, if I think Sam Hain got an injury at the end of the season, so I think that's his omission is that injury rather than, you know, them just not picked him. So I think he would have been knocking on the door as well. So I think it is a little bit of both, a bit of development, a bit of next best in line if somebody gets injured in Pakistan. And it's also trying to bridge the gap. And these these squads are important. That You go on a trip feeling like an England cricketer. You go on a trip behaving like an England cricketer trying to perform like an England cricketer, which is the next level up from your, your county stuff. So when you do finally, hopefully, get a selection into the main squad or into the main test team, that the gap is not as big a transition. So from that point of view, I think there's a lot of key factors in that. And the, the, the most important thing is trying to get them some cricket to play. And I think that's, that's the next. You know, trying getting these guys to play as a team but play the sort of in between the level of first class cricket and test cricket. Um, so when they do get to the test level, it's not a bigger jump. England Lions are only playing England 
and then I think they're going to Sri Lanka after Christmas in January. It'll be interesting to see if this is the same squad. I would imagine there might be one or two others, especially the, the fringe players that are on the, in Pakistan. They probably will go on that on that tour to, to Sri Lanka if there's not as much, well, depending on franchise cricket around the world being played and players being played and that, because the Lions squad now, for me, should all be about red ball cricket. We should not really have too much emphasis on white ball cricket. But the simple fact is these players that are going around the world playing franchise cricket and white ball games are probably bridging the gap between domestic first class cricket, uh, domestic one day cricket in England and playing in, um, in obviously in international cricket as well. Okay, um, Chris Rushworth, um, Durham's all-time leading wicket-taker. Uh, 12 years, I was under the impression, and I think it, it may well not be an incorrect impression, that uh, he would bleed Durham County Cricket Club. But he's leaving for personal reasons, and I'm sure all our listeners would like you to know what, what you know. I can only surmise. I've not spoke to Chris. I've had a message off. I've sent him a message to say, you know, congratulations on what he's done for Durham Cricket Club. I think Durham should name one of the bowling ends after him. Um, because he's, he's Durham's all-time leading wicket-taker. He played for Durham for the whole lot. He, not like me, went off to play for England. Graham went off and went off to play for England. Uh, Chris Rushworth has been a huge, uh, a massive servant to the club. Um, I can only think he's got a young family, and I can only think it's, it's, it's a financial decision. It's the end of his career, and he hasn't played 2020 for Durham, and possibly there's a little bit of his want to play white ball cricket and his want to get the best deal possible for his family before he, you know, he has to retire. And I don't blame him for that. I really don't. He didn't play with 2020 for Durham. So he's going to go and play at Warwickshire, hopefully get into their white ball squad. And I don't know what deal he was, he was offered at Durham, whether it was just a red ball contract alone. So that's all speculation. The one thing I will say, he's been a great servant for Durham County Cricket Club. He should be proud of everything he's achieved at Durham. Um, Durham should recognise that. Um, and if he has two years, one year, two years at Warwickshire, yeah, good luck to the lad because I think Warwickshire have missed somebody to lead their bowling attack. They've got some fine bowlers, Warwickshire. Norwood hasn't played that much this year um, for one of two reasons. Brooks, I think, is a he's got talent. Obviously, they've not seen Wilkes. There's one or two others that, you know, Hallam Dolby, another one who's, who's had a good season. But I think since Tim Bresnan left, Somebody that leads the attack, I think, was probably missing this year. And that's why Warwickshire were in a little bit of trouble. So I think Rushy will do that job next year if he starts the season and stays fit. OK, coming towards the end now. Um, for those who don't know, England are playing a three-match ODI series against Australia straight after the T20 World Cup. It's, it's Cricket Australia saying, well, look, look, lads, see, seeing as you're here, would you mind yeah. staying for a <laughs> I mean, and I and what I do like is that uh, you know England said oh, okay then, but they're not going to play. It seems to me anyway that they're not going to play any players for whom these three games are a bridge too far. So, so Jason Roy, um, I believe we speculation is that he's set for a recall uh, with Ben Duckett and James Vince also in the in the frame. I mean, they're one day internationals and um, and England are there and you know. <laughs> Used to administrators now cashing in as much as possible. England's summer was crazy, wasn't it? They played uh, 12 games in something like 26, 12 mm. white ball games in, in 26 days. But I, I like I like the fact that, that they are saying, yeah, OK, we'll we'll play them. But we're not going to, you know, don't expect us to play the same team over and over again. 
look, the way the world's going and the, the future tour programs and bilateral series, is, it makes sense that you, it's not as though you can pop over to Australia for a week and play three games and come straight home because it's just far too far and, you know, the, the way the time zones are. It'll take you a while to get into the acclimatisation. So from that point of view, it makes sense. From my point of view, if I'm, I'm looking at this a couple of ways, you know, I'm thinking if we win the World Cup and Australia get knocked out on Friday, what sort of crowds are going to turn up? They're not going to want to come to an England-Australia game off the back of England-Australia having a poor World Cup and, and England potentially winning it, uh, or vice versa. That, that, could, that could happen as well. From a player's point of view, I'm going, if I win the World Cup, do I really want to go and play three one-day nationals in a week's time? I might not be sober. I've just won a World Cup. There's no chance of me being, you know, I've got to, got to celebrate. You know what I mean? I've, we've got to celebrate the, the fact that we've won the World Cup. So hopefully it's a, it's a long flight home for, for, for a few of the lads of, uh, with a World Cup winner's medal. And three games, ECB need to tick a box and get the games played. I think it makes sense from that point of view. But I think from a player's point of view, it'll be interesting to see how many people that are involved in the T20 World Cup actually play in them three one-day nationals. I think it'll be very few. Okay, final word this week goes to Mr. and Mrs. Don Topley, who arrived in Australia to watch Reese play against Australia. And then in the T20 World Cup, they arrived on the day that it was confirmed he was out of the tournament. I hope that you took out travel insurance, Toppers. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back on Tuesday next week, straight after the England against New Zealand game in the the T20 World Cup. But for now, you've been listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.